Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. My parents have been watching uh, me do my sermons on the weekend from their home. They're the ones that say D and D from Kentucky in the chat room. And my dad told me the other day, Dale, you make a good televangelist. My mom said that I could be the next Joel Olstein. I'm okay. H- how well do you take a joke? How well do you take criticism? How well do you do when you're told you're doing something wrong? The scripture we're going to study today points out some areas of our life we need to change. And some of the language used in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 can sound scary, harsh, or confusing if we're not careful. In these words, John records a message to real churches that existed about 2,000 years ago. And they are accused of not living a lifestyle that looks like Jesus. With a little bit of study, we can see that Jesus, who's giving this letter to John, knows these churches with an intense intimacy. And because these words are inspired, and Jesus gives us the special symbol number seven, we know the words are also meant for every church that exists in time. The number seven in apocalyptic literature means complete or fulfilled. And the message we read in Revelations chapters two and three can be applied to any church at any time in history, and to us too. Jesus uses this term, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In every single one of his messages, he says those words. This is parable-type language. Parables were told in such a way that they revealed spiritual insights to believers and hid those same spiritual insights from unbelievers. As we read the scripture this morning, Would you invite the Holy Spirit to open your own ears and your own eyes to hear and see the truth? We can do that with just a simple prayer that you can say with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you say that out loud with me together on the count of three and make it a real prayer, asking Him to reveal Himself by enabling us to hear. Say that prayer with me. One, two, three. Come, Holy Spirit. Remember, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 points it out. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and obey what is written in it, because the time is near. What we will find is that we can join with other Christians through all time and together with Christians today to look like Jesus. Our character can be transformed to look like Christ by practicing the three R's we find in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. The three R's, and you can write these down if you'd like to, are review, reinforce, and repent. Review, reinforce, and repent. This section of Revelation and most of the book can be called the normal Christian life. Christians in John's day were being attacked, exiled, slaughtered, and beheaded. As they served, they suffered. And suffering is when they looked most like our Savior Jesus Christ. But because suffering for Christ is not easy, many of the Christians in John's day quit following Jesus. 
But some didn't fall away completely. They just compromised their position to make life easier. But Jesus doesn't really ever call us to comfort. He calls us to endure. Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, says that if you think life is supposed to be fair, go home and read the story of Jesus. Was life fair for him? Uh, Yancey wrote, For me, the cross demolished for all time the basic assumption that life would be fair. This is where the first R, review, comes in. In the message, messages to the churches in chapters 2 and 3, it seemed like Jesus was using his life as the lifestyle he is calling, even now, all of his people to imitate. We should review and compare his lifestyle to ours. The instructions on his lifestyle in these chapters follows a pattern. Jesus would have John write a description of himself, reminding us of who we worship. And then Jesus would either give his approval or disapproval at their imitation of him. Let's take a look in uh, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, the messages that we find here uh, to, the, to the first couple of churches Jesus gives uh, nothing but approval to the churches Smyrna and Philadelphia. Now, that's a church in chapter 2 and a church in chapter 3. He gives them approval. Those followers of Christ looked just like him. They were enduring faithfully while suffering because they knew their identity in the kingdom. Check out chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. This is church at Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are the people of God and are not. They're actually a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will surf, suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as the victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. When Jesus says he knows their afflictions, he knows because he lived them. He reminded them in the description of himself taken from chapter 1, he was the one who died and came to life again. The disciples at Smyrna were suffering and were in danger of being killed. But Jesus says, be faithful, even to the point of death, because the reward is worth it. And he knew it because he had remained faithful all the way to death himself. And then God raised him from the dead and put his name above all names. The reward is worth it. The church in Philadelphia was given the same command to endure. Look at chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And then he goes on to repeat in verses 12 and 13 the the phrase, whoever has hears, let them hear. This is where the review of the lifestyle of Jesus comes in perfectly. Jesus knew what it was like to be weak and attacked. He knew what it was like to be poor without a home or steady income. 
and he knew what it was like because he suffered for us. He made himself so low, lower than anyone had ever been, so he could get under us and lift us up to God and hold us in his mighty right hand. And we need to reinforce this idea that whenever we suffer in the name of Christ and endure suffer, suffering patiently, it's a privilege because that faithful endurance unites us to Christ and Jesus promises the reward is worth it. Paul, one of Jesus' earliest followers, knew this promise when he wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. After reviewing Jesus' lifestyle and comparing our lifestyle to his, we need that word, number two, reinforce. We need to reinforce whatever part of our lifestyle imitates Jesus, even if it's suffering. Our suffering in America, even during COVID-19, is not quite like the church at Smyrna or Philadelphia. But we do have our own griefs to endure. And staying faithful is the call Christ gives us. Staying faithful is holding on when you don't understand. Or continuing to believe in Jesus and worshiping Him even when you don't feel like it. Or maybe your regular routine of worship is taken away. Faithful endurance is holding your tongue when you're angry or you feel like cursing. Reinforce the lifestyle of Jesus by trusting that though those things are painful now, there's still a God in heaven who one day is going to make all things right. And when you stop and think about it, what's the alternative? How many answers do you get when you decide you don't believe in God anymore? Or how many answers do you get if you vow that you'll never be a part of another church because people hurt you? Does atheism give you answers? Does anger give you any comfort? When many of Jesus' followers were abandoning him because of disappointment, Jesus asked the twelve, Will you also go away? Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We may not understand all that we're going through, but if we compare our life to his, and we find that it looks similar, even in suffering for his name, then we need to reinforce the good that we're doing and remain faithful, even to the point of death. Polycarp was the bishop of one of these cities, one of these churches in Smyrna, about 50 years after the Revelation letter was written. And we know from history that around 100, 155 A.D., the Roman proconsul ordered his arrest and execution because he was a Christ follower. When they came to get him, they found him lying down in his cottage, and he came down and just spoke to them. It's recorded that they were amazed at his age and steadfastness. And some of them started to ask, why did we go to so much trouble to capture a man like this? Polycarp, it says, he called for food and drink for his uh, captors. <laughs> and he asked, before they took him away, if he could have an hour to pray uninterrupted. And they agreed. And he stood and prayed so full of the grace of God that they didn't even stop him for a full two hours. They were astounded, and many of them regretted coming to arrest such a godly man. And when Polycarp was taken to the arena, one of them tried to get him to apostatize. Have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the atheists. 
Christians at that time were called atheists in Rome because they only worshipped the one true God and not all the other gods of Rome. Polycarp, when he was looking at the people in the stadium, he gestured toward them and he said, down with the atheists. He was then urged to say and swear that he didn't believe in Christ and if he would just say those words, then they would set him free. Polycarp responded, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? Then he was threatened to be thrown to the lions, but he didn't give up Christ. And then he was threatened to be burned alive. And he told them all, including all the people in the stadium, including the proconsul, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. This is the type of man who reinforced the parts of his lifestyle that looked like Christ, and he never gave up even when things got bad. So they tied him up, and they tried to set him on fire. They tried to burn him at the stake, but a miracle happened, and the fire didn't touch him. And when the soldiers were ordered to pierce him with a dagger, he did die, and it was recorded that so much blood flowed out of him, it extinguished the fire. Jesus actually calls us to that kind of lifestyle because that was the lifestyle he had lived. Polycarp knew that Jesus was with him and would continue to stand with him even as he took his last stand. One preacher said, You and I and our congregation may not be a Smyrna church just now, but we do experience our own pressures, sufferings, and afflictions. And whenever we do, the vision of Jesus standing among us in all His glory and the words of the promise He speaks will sustain and guide us just like it did for Polycarp. Just as Christ showed us how to do it with His own sacrificial life. After reviewing the lifestyle of Jesus, we may find that there are areas of our life we need to reinforce. But we, may also, we might also find that there are areas of our life we need to do the third R, and that's repent. In the remaining five churches from these two chapters, Jesus called them not to reinforce, but to repent. We, we don't hear a lot about calling for repentance today, but the Bible commands us that when, that when needed, we are to use the scripture to rebuke one another, hold each other accountable in our behavior, and uh, this is exactly what Jesus is doing in these messages to us. He's holding us accountable for our dedication, deeds, and doctrine. In Revelation, Jesus reveals that he knows who we are and what we're about. He repeats the words, I know you, for every one of these seven churches. And he repeats the words, I know you, even to us. I know your deeds, he says to Ephesus. I know where you live, he says to Pergamum. I know your reputation, he says to Philadelphia. I know your indifference, he says to the church at Laodicea. Jesus knows us, and for some of us, he is calling us to repent. Two of the churches, Ephesus and Laodicea, the very first church mentioned in the letters and the very last church mentioned in the letters, were in grave danger of being destroyed. 
turn and look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus warns the Christian in Ephesus of the jeopardy they were in. These Christians really knew doctrine well, but they had rejected love while learning facts about Jesus. Here's what it says. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And in Laodicea, in Revelation chapter 3, the Christians there were so wealthy, they didn't act like they even needed Jesus. They were more interested in seeking out comfort than they were in seeking out Christ. And this is the only church in these seven messages that Jesus didn't even say one good thing about. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, says, uh, Jesus says to him, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Christ warns them in verse 19, Be earnest and repent. So how do you respond when somebody gives you correction? Author Tony Payne says, we're all kind of hardwired with this unhealthy reaction to being corrected. Tony calls it the, yeah, but reaction. None of us like to be corrected. None of us like to be told we're doing something wrong. And I, 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 I hate it. I, I, I don't even like to be told I'm wrong, but I definitely don't like to be told I'm sinning. And we all like change only when it benefits us and doesn't take too much effort. We give a lot of pushback, however, when someone points out that we're not obeying Scripture. And the really bad part about all of this is that we can clearly see when others are not obeying Scripture or practicing the Jesus lifestyle, but we're blind to our own faults. That's why they're called a blind spot. And in that blind spot, we offer the yeah, but defense. The deceptive part of the yeah, but defense is that while we're saying it, it even fools us. So when someone points out to us that we're not doing something right, we start with the half-hearted acknowledgement. I hear what you're saying. You may be right about that. And then we add the, but. We use the acknowledgement of the truth to pretend we see what they're saying about us. And then we springboard into an excuse for our behavior. Yeah, but, and we make it out to be something more complicated than it really is or we think we're the exception to the rule, or we become an expert in denial. And if none of that works, we try to deflect the judgment onto someone else or away from the evidence that points out our own sins. We don't really want to see ourselves clearly, and we don't a lot of times want to interact with our own problems because then we'd be forced to change. The reason I'm telling you this is because Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. He doesn't let us deflect and He knows. He knows what's in our hearts and in our minds. And the final three churches found right at the heart of the seven messages of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 are the most likely place where we'll find ourselves. And Jesus is calling us to repent. Remember, Jesus says, if you're spiritually able, you'll be able to listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. These three churches found right at the heart, Sardis and Thyatira and Pergamum are in danger because of their compromise. 
Smyrna and Philadelphia didn't compromise and were suffering, but they remained faithful. Ephesus was practicing learning correct doctrine, but they had no love. And Laodicea was so far into the world, they didn't even have a doctrine. But these three middle churches, Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis, were in danger because they had good deeds and they knew some doctrine. But they were allowing the world to creep in and throw them off the path of righteousness. Thyatira, the church there, is going to be our key example Start at Revelation chapter 2 and read with me, beginning uh, with verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now more, doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Remember, this is Jesus talking. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless, unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. Did you hear that phrase? Hang in there. Continue to be faithful all the way to the end. I will give authority over the nations, and that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The warning from Jesus is punishment for those who follow the path of compromise, for those who allow the world to start shaping their desires and behaviors. But Jesus gives hope. In chapter 2, verse 22, he gives hope in the suffering because he says they're going to suffer unless they repent. Right now, as long as you still have today, if you have allowed the world to shape your mind, your desires, or behavior, Jesus is calling you and giving you the opportunity to repent. And he gives encouragement following the repentance. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, that person will receive the reward. See, we need to look like Jesus individually and collectively as a church. So today, has Jesus given you anything to think about? And comparing your lifestyle to his, were you listening? Did you hear what Jesus is saying to you today? Or have you immediately thrown up the, yeah, but, defense? If the Spirit is speaking to you today, then would you immediately go to God and confess your sin to him? And ask him for both forgiveness and the strength to change. Remember, he is faithful. He will hear your prayers, forgive you and give you a spirit so that you can live a lifestyle 
just like his. And we can do this because we know that when we repent, God forgives us. God forgives us in such a way that he says he doesn't even remember our sin. Stephen Brown tells of a man who had a Rolls Royce break down on him in a remote part of France. Uh, this guy was really irritated. He'd spent all this money on this fantastic car and then it uh, messed up on him. So he called the headquarters and they flew in a mechanic right then and there by helicopter to fix the Rolls Royce right where it was stuck. The next day he was on his way and he began to think about it. He never received a, repel, a repair bill. So he called the headquarters of Rolls Royce and left a message and said, thanks for doing what you did, but I never received the bill. They emailed him later back that day and said, we have no record of your Rolls Royce or any Rolls Royce ever having mechanical problems. That's how it is with God. When he gives us forgiveness in Christ, our sins are gone from the record. We should repent, change our mind and heart, and know we've been forgiven, and then do something different in our actions. Continue to increase our correct doctrine by learning and studying the Scripture. Continue to increase our good deeds by loving and giving, and continue to hold fast to what we've been given. Don't just stand there. Do something. We should constantly review the lifestyle of Christ, how He lived, how He thought, what he spoke, what he did, and compare our lifestyle to his. And the parts that are, we are imitating well, we should reinforce and increase. But the parts of our life that don't look like Jesus, we should follow his command to us to repent. Would you make your desire to live a lifestyle like Jesus known right now by writing in the chat or by emailing our church or even texting the word CONNECT to 937-382-0904? We want to help you to take your next best step. Remember, Jesus finishes each of the messages to those churches with a promise. The promise is available to us too. To those who are victorious, to those who overcome, the ones who are faithful until the end. Those are the ones that listen and repent of their sin. Jesus promises that they will receive eternal life, eternal peace, eternal joy, and a fellowship with God that never ends. He will be our God, and we will be his people. Jesus gives us a perfect time in our day and in our gatherings to review and reinforce and repent. And that time is known as communion. What he did was he reminds us with, his, with the bread and the cup of his body and blood. Would you go on and get your communion out so that we could participate in the body and blood of Christ together? You know, in the Protestant Reformation, they didn't argue about whether the presence of Christ was with them as they took communion. What they argued about was how he made himself present. And today, as we take our bread, would you remind yourself that Jesus is with you and knows you and is more intimately connected to your life than you could ever imagine. Would you, before you take this bread, review your own lifestyle and compare it to the lifestyle of Christ? And then, if you see anything in your life that looks like Jesus, tell him thank you. But if you see some parts of your lifestyle, your imagination, what you watch on the internet, 
how you speak to your loved ones, if you see any part of your lifestyle that doesn't line up with the lifestyle of Christ, repent. Remind yourself of his body that was broken on the cross because of your sin. Let's take that, let's take that bread right now and remind ourselves and repent. And now as we take the cup, would you remind yourself he shed his blood for you and spiritually it covers over all of your sin, washing you clean as snow. He makes your sins gone forever through his blood. Would you remind yourself that you are forgiven and whole and mighty and he has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west so that you can now reinforce and hold on to the good Christ has given you you take the cup and remember the new covenant that he has made in his blood. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you, not only for the sacrifice that you've given us, but for your love that makes your sacrifice available to us. For your grace that lifts us up to be with you guarantees that our sins are not only forgiven, that we've been made right with God, but that we can rule with you, reign with you forever, forever in heaven. Lord, we look forward to that day where we see you face to face and be made just like you in all of our lifestyles. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've enjoyed looking at Revelation chapter 2 and 3 with you. I want to remind you that um, I'll be teaching on Revelation chapter 1 tonight, Sunday night, um, and we're doing a Bible study uh, through Zoom, and you can contact us through the church office or through that Connect card you see on your screen or um, even through email if you'd like to join our Bible study. And I look forward to worshiping with you again. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.